people are just people, and we and we have to understand that. And so it would be good if if we would start running it through that filter, and we would seek to give people the breaks. Let's say it like that that we need people to give us. And Jesus had had this down. There's no way that that we will ever be the people as powerful as we can be individually, which God intends for us to be powerful people, and, and we need to uh, get over any kind of thinking that would hold us back from pursuing to be a powerful individual in God. Now, I hope I don't embarrass them uh, if I'll apologize ahead of time if I, if I do. But I just met Sam, and I just met Kat right here behind uh, Anita. And uh, they're both 19 years old. Kat came here, knows several of you. And uh, and I, I noticed Sam because he was walking on crutches, and it reminded me of the four times in my life I've been on crutches. And so my heart automatically goes goes out to them. So Sam, I think this is the first time. Did you say Sam that or second time that you that, that you've been here? And the truth of the matter is, is that Sam can be powerfully used by God. That that's the truth of the matter. The truth of the matter is cat can be powerfully used by God. The truth is we can all put our names in that and know that God wants, wants to use us in a major way. Well, the enemy knows that, so guess what? The enemy will try to load us down with sin, guilt, shame, and get us to harbor unforgiveness. Now, if we want to talk about the knockout punch in somebody's life, when they're dealing with sin, when they're dealing with guilt, when they're dealing with shame, and they're harboring unforgiveness, guess what? It's game over. There is no way to win like that. But that is not what our Savior wants us to deal with. Neither is it what our Savior wants us to be carriers of. And so that's the introduction for what I have to say tonight about Jesus the forgiver. When we think about the fact that Jesus forgives sin, that is absolutely amazing. That our sin does not have to continue in our life, cause all the havoc in our life, and then ultimately take us and position us to be lost in eternity. First John 1 and 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess, in other words, if we confess our offenses, He's faithful to forgive our offense and cleanse us from all injustice and moral wrongfulness. But, but here's, here's where it starts. Forgiveness begins with our admission. Nobody, people may be talking about your sin, 
but nobody can position us to be forgiven for sin but us. And it starts with us admitting it. We have to admit it. We have to confess it. We must speak it out to him. I have, I have often, you know, it's kind of like some people have said to me before, if I've ever done anything to offend you, uh, and I've thought, yeah, right, if. And, and, then, and then I have also heard, you know, uh, in prayer, and I've, and I've even thought this before, you know, God, if I've done anything wrong, all right, look, listen, God loves us. But he's not buying that. I mean, he's, he's not buying that prayer un, until I've said, God, I lied. God, I did. God, I that. You say, that's brutal. No, that's the word. If we confess, I'm not saying you got to get up in a microphone and confess it. But he is saying that, that we must confess it. So if I am going to position myself to not be weighted down with the crushing weight of sin. Then I go to Jesus the forgiver, and I confess it. I own it. And then, depending on what the situation has been, I may have to go to someone else and, and own it if, if it involved them, if it hurt them, if it was against them. You know, when we, when we look at, at sins, there are action sins and inaction sins. Action and inaction. Um, when we're speaking of and thinking about the will of God, we, we have to understand this. Now, now we all clearly understand action sin. That's, that's what's referred to as committing sin. You know, uh, that's, that's when we commit sin. Okay, we've got that. But what about this sin of inaction or, or even idleness? And you say, that's, that's pretty heavy. Well, in the Word of God, idleness, in fact, can equal wickedness. You say, that's, that's hard. Well, let's look at it. The man in Matthew 25 who was idle with only one talent, he was judged a wicked man. Wicked. That was literally how hard he was, he was judged. And, and this gives us great kingdom insight because we must understand that the kingdom does not operate by pity. We, we can't, we can't think pity is, is going to help us be strong in the kingdom. It was literally the, the owner representing Jesus Christ gave one five, one two, and one one. And he gave all of those excuses why he did not use, why he was idle with that one. But, but pity did not work. And so if we fail to do what we can, what we can do, God is not asking any of us to do anything that we cannot do. Now that's, that's where the enemy comes in and starts fooling with our heads. And, and what the enemy wants to do is, is get us distracted in a manner that we're so focused on, boy, if I had this, or if I had this ability, or if I had that opportunity, or if I had that position, or, or if, if, if I would do all of these things, that's the enemy. That's, 
if it is beyond our ability to do, we are not being held accountable for it. But we must get our mind on what we can do. And then that is our issue. So if we fail to do what we can, it's, it's much more than a personal choice. It's literally a personal wicked choice. It's what it is. He was judged. His, his idleness. I don't have time to break this down very far. Let me just add this and, and I'll move on. He was particularly given a talent and was told what he should do with it. It was clear. It had his name on it. It was hand-delivered. And he refused to do it. And so we must really take a look at what we've been given, what has been put in our hands. And we actively deal with, with our sins and of, of action or inaction by quickly admitting, repenting, and turning. This is powerful. Quickly. When we sin, if you sin on Monday, don't think, boy, next Sunday I got to get that right. No, uh-uh, no. When we sin, at that moment, it's time to admit it, repent, and turn. At, at that minute. And it does not say, and you'll know when you've repented because you'll cry. Or you'll know when you've repented because you'll feel chill bumps. It does not say that. All we have to do when, when we have sinned is truly from our heart be sorry that we did that, even if it's something that we are fighting and we've been sorry about many, many times. We have to get this right. We have to look at what the Word says. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth, and forsaketh them shall have mercy. So we really need to take Proverbs 28, 13, running along with 1 John, where it talks about that, that if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And let's understand also that Proverbs speaks about confessing and forsaking. So it's not enough to just keep saying it. It was interesting when John, uh, when John the Baptist was, was really going after the Pharisees, and what, what did he tell them? He said, bring forth what? Fruits worthy of repentance. In other words, that tells us right there that repentance is far more than just a declaration. It's more than us just saying we're sorry. But it starts there. That's, that's where it starts. So Proverbs 28 and 13 speaks to us about let's confess and let's forsake. Confess it and by the help of the Spirit of God, forsake it. Get it right with God. Get it right with God and if need be, get it right with man and then move on. Whenever I was studying for this, a conversation that I had quite, uh, quite a while back, there was a young man that I am, that I am uh, connected with and, and so he calls me. And he starts talking to me. He's a leader in a church. And he starts talking to me about, about how he's just been, been fought for these sins. 
and and he's you know he's struggling in an area and all of these kinds of things. Well, as the story unfolds, he is he's literally being tormented over over sins. Number one that he was introduced to as a child when he had no control whatsoever over it. So this whole world of sexual sin was opened up to him when he was a little boy. Had, had no decision on it whatsoever. And so this put him, you know, in this, in this, uh, you know, when that happens, especially when, when they're young, how it just, how it just really brings major challenges, sexual challenges through their life. And so we're talking about all of this, and I'm, and I'm trying to, to realize, well, but the way you're dealing with it, I mean, he's dealing with it, he confessed it, he, he had, he had spent days of prayer and fasting, he had talked to his accountability, partner about it. He was living in victory, had been living in victory. I was asking all these pointed questions because I'm trying to, I'm trying to zero in on here. What, what's, what's happening here? And all these things, he'd even talked to his pastor about it. And because of our relationship, he felt that he needed to call and tell me about it. And so when I got it all laid out, I told him, I said, I said, listen, the enemy is taking you for a ride. We got to stop this right here. You, you've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. You couldn't help that. And then as you got older, what that pointed you toward, and then the things that you did older, you made the choice to do, to do those. You've confessed it. You've prayed through it. You've made it right. Live, go live in victory. You've been forgiven. You've been forgiven. And he was, I mean, it was literally like a weight had been lifted off of him. I said, you've got to understand that, that as much as we love our children, that level is evil compared to, to the way our heavenly father loves us. And there is no way that our Heavenly Father wants you under this load of guilt. You've cleaned it up. Now, now accept the forgiveness and, and move on. I could be speaking to somebody right now by way of webcast or in this building. Listen, the Word tells us how to clean it up. Let us never forget that Jesus is a forgiver. He's a forgiver. There are, there are people here that, that you, you may, and I'm, and now I'm getting off this and I, I gotta get back. I'm watching the clock as close as I can. We get into these services where the Spirit of God is moving. And this is a church where we believe that everybody should be using their gifting. And we're really putting major focus on that. And pastor's got great vision for how we're even going to take that to greater levels. And and th those conversations are happening. And those plans are being had. And all that business. And what's happening is the Spirit is moving. And there's people here that that you know the Spirit is moving and when you start leaning forward, you get slammed with all this. You get slammed back with, well, I can't. 
I can't be used by God. I did this and this and this. And well, now if you're living a double life, then, then yes, you're exactly right. That's got to be cleaned up. But, but listen, if, if you're not living a double life and you're taking God at his word and you are confessing your sin and you are forsaking it and you're keeping it cleaned up, Will you please go ahead and let the Spirit take you and use you to the level that God wants to use you? The devil is a liar. Is a liar. And we have to to deal with, with this. He that confesseth and forsaketh. He that confesseth and forsaketh. I think somehow we believe some way that... We have to earn forgiveness. And that we have to earn everything whenever it comes to our relationship with God. That, that we have to earn it. And this is tough. Because as long as the enemy can keep us thinking that we have to earn these things, then we will never move past a guilty conscience. It won't happen. And you can believe that a guilty conscience is a prison. Because a guilty conscience is weighty. It will absolutely crush you. King David found this out. Now, he had, he had to deal with it. But when you look at, at King David, now while, while he was hiding what he had done, while he was hiding his manipulating, while he was hiding his lust, hiding his murder hiding his adultery, then, then yes, he was, he was in major trouble, just like any of us would be today. But King David was a great man of God. King David was a great warrior. He was a great king, but unfortunately, he also became a great sinner. But after the man of God brought it to his attention, now, let me say this. When, when we are in this sanctuary and the, the anointing of God is on our pastor, there are words that comes through a pastor that will not come through anyone else. That will not. There, there is an anointing that is on a pastor that there can be all kinds of other ministers in a church, but there's going to be a different anointing that is going to come on that pastor because he's the one that's got to give an account. There's, there's just a, a special flow. So when the man of God, when our pastor is in this pulpit ministering and, and he's ministering and we start feeling the Spirit of God speak to us, I cannot tell you how important it is to just open up your heart and your spirit and don't block anything, don't question anything, and, and let the Spirit do its work. Because those are the times when, when the Spirit is saying, thou art the man. Now the prophet Nathan goes to David, tells him this story, and, uh, and then David said, well, whoever, you know, whoever did that, I'll kill him. And then he, he said, David, thou art the man. And that was when David realized that his sin was opened up. Now, David could have responded like Saul, but he didn't. And we see David's response in Psalms 51, 1 through 3. 
Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. That's key to understand. According to thy loving kindness, not according to what I have done. Not according to what I will do, if you will forgive. No, no. When we, when we start off here, we have to realize we can't fix it on our own. It's, it's God that has to allow us, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. Here it is. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. I acknowledge it. I acknowledge it. I'm, I am the man. Well, when he did this, yes, there were consequences. Obviously, there were horrible consequences. And, and that's, that's the sad thing about sin. But at some point, just because there's more consequences, don't keep doing it. Don't keep stacking up consequences. Get the damage stopped. And that's exactly what David did. He said, my sin is ever before me. Proverbs 28 and 1. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. There is so much in that. There's so much insight in this. The wicked have no peace. The, the wicked are always running. Their mind is always running. Who's going to find out? Did they know? Do they know? The wicked is always looking over their shoulder. Is somebody going to find this out about me or that? But the righteous, when you're righteous, when you're living righteous, when you have nothing to hide, then you can be as bold as a lion. David was very bold. David was a great warrior. David was uh, a great king. But when he allowed wickedness to stay and he started covering sin, then, then he had no peace. And, and then he, he got into a situation where he couldn't rule like he had been ruling because his sin was ever before him and it had to be cleaned up. We know that sin limits and sin takes away peace and sin d destroys. We cannot conquer sin on our own. We can't do it. We are, we are no match for our flesh. We are no match for the enemy of our soul. And man tries to have peace, tries to, to stop the inner erosion of sin. Uh, man knows something is wrong. But, but often thinks that it can be handled by being better by ourselves. Like, well, now I'm not going to do that tomorrow. Okay. All right. I've, I failed this time, but I'm, I'm not going to do it tomorrow. I am not going to do it tomorrow. There is, and then you do it tomorrow or maybe not tomorrow, but maybe you have a good one day and then it's the next day or what. That's how it works. That's exactly how it works. We are no match for our flesh. We are no match for the enemy. None. It doesn't matter. You can, you can have a great Sunday, and, uh, and you can pray through on Sunday and feel the spirit and power of God. Well, my advice is, is you better stay in that lane. You better stay in that lane. You better watch what you watch. You better watch what you hear. 
You better you say, oh, legalism, legalism, all you people are is a bunch of rules. Really? No, I'm not, I'm not preaching here a Pentecostal list. I'm preaching here about the peace that righteousness brings. Period. This is not about a list. This is not about you legalistic people. No, it's not about that. It's about following peace. It's about having peace. What? Within, with God, with our brothers and sisters. It's about, it's about peace. Well, Jesus paid the price so we could have that. And we see that in Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. I love this. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while man was yet sinning, Jesus Christ said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to turn loose of them. I'm not going to allow that to be their life. I will die and be the sacrifice for them so that they will not have to live like that. And they will not have to be under the crushing weight of sin. Romans five nineteen through 21. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. We need to remind ourselves of that. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 1 John 3 and 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil. Whoa. That's, that's pretty strong, right? For the devil sinneth from the beginning. But here's the good news. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was manifest. God was manifest in Jesus Christ. What? That he could destroy the works of the devil. If New Life Fellowship ever steps in, not just a few, but many, into the purpose of Jesus Christ, and we look at the purpose of Jesus Christ and we see that the Son of Man uh, came to seek and to save. That he came to destroy the works of the devil. That he is not willing that any should perish but all. Any, nobody perish, but all come to repentance. If we ever step into that dimension and start living that and, and, and walking solid like that, like we are because of abiding in him. If you abide in him, if you abide in me and I in you, then what all that speaks we will do. We will be destroyers of the works of the devil. You do know that believers can cast out devils, right? Do you remember that? Do you remember that believers, and I, and I love the fact that it says believers. It, it starts right there. All those great things. Believers. It does not say pastors. When you become a pastor. When you become a leader. When you become a teacher. When you become this. When you've been in the church five years. And then at seven years you get more power. And at ten years you get more power. And I'll, No, it does not. It says that believers can have this power. We've got to step into this because Jesus forgives
Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to free all from the devastation of sin. And true forgiveness and peace is only found in him. When we, when we look at the word of God, we get great, um, great insight on this subject. Let's look at Luke 6, 36 through 38. This is where it gets serious. Here's where it really zeroes in on all of us. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Well, if it's going to be so strong saying, forgive, and ye shall be forgiven, what do you think the meaning there is, is if we do not forgive? Verse 38, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. And so literally, it goes to this about forgiveness, and then it goes into to giving, and then it really speaks to us. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. This, this brothers and sisters, is serious. So it's, it's literally like, if I, if I understand this right, if I'm praying for forgiveness, then there's going to be a checking of my account on how I have forgiven others before I will get forgiveness. That's the only way I can read that. That I'm asking, you know, God forgive me, God forgive me. Well, I will, but let me check something. Yes. Forgiveness must be given to be received. It must be, and if, if we fail to forgive, there is no basis to be forgiven. None whatsoever. And so if we choose to be unforgiving, we had better live a perfect life. This is a major reap what you sow life point. And unforgiving people are really in trouble. Unforgiving people are literally dead while they live because it's just... If, if you won't forgive, if you won't forgive, it's over. Because you can't be forgiven. I can't be forgiven. You say, well, you don't know what they did. And all. Okay. Let, let me just say this, and I don't have time to work it over. Maybe in another lesson, we'll, we'll go deeper in it. Forgiving somebody does not mean that you still stay under their power to destroy you. Forgiving somebody does not mean... You know, okay, you know, yes, I'm, I'm going to forgive you. Now, now you keep destroying my life. But we have to forgive 
so we can be released to be forgiven. Romans 6, 11 through 14. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. In other words, don't, don't let sin reign. We have, we have the, the, um, we have the power through Jesus Christ to not allow sin. Don't cut a deal with sin that that uh, that so easily doth beset us. There, there are some sins in our lives that those are the easy ones that we fall to. Keep fighting those sins. Don't let it rain. It, it may get the upper hand one day for five minutes or ten minutes, whatever. Jump back up right then. Don't wait to Sunday. Don't right then fight it. You're not going to be, call that sin out. You're not going to be on the throne of my life. You're not going to reign. I know you just won that bout, but I'm getting ready to win this one through the power of Jesus Christ. I'm talking to somebody right now. You got to talk like this. You got to talk like this. If you have to get off by yourself somewhere, fine. Get off somewhere by yourself. But let not sin reign in your mortal body. That ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. That, that is such, that's a key verse right now. Yield. Yield. All right. It's, it's as simple as this. You're getting up on the interstate. And there's an 18-wheeler that's, that's coming this way. Well, I'm not going to take on an 18-wheeler. I'm going to yield. I'm going to let that truck... Well, but they should move over. Well, but they... Well, no, well I, I don't care. I'm not going to end up underneath that. I'm going to yield. Well, now, when we're talking about our members, we don't yield. We don't yield. We, we fight and we don't yield our minds. I had a situation today, it, and it was, it's just like the enemy. Just like the enemy. Because I was getting ready to come, and my mind went on a one of these journeys, and I was literally aggravated at somebody about something that had happened years ago that I've already got over, forgiven, whatever. And literally in my mind as I was getting ready, I got aggravated all again, and then it hit me. Look what the enemy is doing to you. You know what you're getting ready to go teach. All right, we, we have to get this serious about not yielding our minds, not yielding our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourself what? To God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the wages of sin, if we continue to sin, 
the payment for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm telling you, there's not a sin that, that we cannot take to him. There, there is not a sin that we can't go to him and say, Jesus, you are the forgiver. I confess that sin. God, I, God, I, what, you fill in the blank because nobody knows, well, some things other people know depending on how widespread your deed is. But many of the things is just, is just things that we're dealing with and we go and we confess it and Jesus takes care of it. Amen? Okay, biblical forgivers. Talk back to me here. Who were some great forgivers in, in the Bible? Anybody? Aloud, please. Jesus was a great forgiver. Hosea was a great forgiver. Boy, isn't that the truth? Who? Stephen was a great forgiver. Jeremiah was a great forgiver. I'm sorry, I'm not picking up. Joseph. Joseph was a great forgiver. When we, when we look at these people in the Word of God, and I just want to bring out a couple of points about uh, Jesus and Stephen. Uh, when, when you look at this, when, when you look at the story of Joseph, when you look at the story of David, when, when you look at the, the story of these men and women in the Bible and the level that they stepped up to to forgive, it will help us forgive. It'll help us move forward. When you're looking and considering, and let's start at the top with Jesus Christ, Luke 23, 33, and 34, and when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, really? Oops, they didn't mean to drive that spike there. Oops, they didn't mean to cram that crown of thorns into my, into my head. Uh, oh, they, they didn't realize they were beating me. I want you to look at the level that the level of forgiveness and how Jesus in his flesh, the man of God, literally kept his vision eternal while the temporal was causing him unimaginable pain. There's a major key there. When you look at Stephen in Acts 7, 59 and 60, and they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, there's just a lot there. Um, what I was awakened with Monday morning was insight that I had, I've never seen on this. Maybe you have. A key to their forgiving was when they forgave. 
I want, I want you to look at what was happening at the moment that they forgave. They forgave as it was happening. Obviously, they had both set their wills to be forgiving. Set their wills. I believe that, that a great prayer for all of us to pray would be, God, today, I set my will to forgive. I set my will. See, we're never going to be able to handle hatred. We're never going to be able to handle um, major things that comes against us unless we go ahead and understand that in this life, it's going to come against us. We, we cannot... We cannot continue to stay at an immature level to where when, when things come against us that we're surprised that they came against us. We're wasting emotion. We're wasting all kinds of things at that point. In this life, you, we shall have tribulation. So, so let's move out of this thinking that there is a way that we can live and then nothing negative is ever going to come. Let's get out of that thinking and let's move into understanding if it came to the apostles, if it came to Jesus, if it came to all of these great people, if they suffered things, then we will too. So let's position ourselves to be able to handle it when it comes. David is a is another great example. I was reading this the other day, and I'm I'm going to I'm going to really uh, work in this a major a major way. I'm going to dig into this. Okay, so David is brought in, and I'm hurrying. I'm going to be done ten minutes. Okay, ten minutes. I'll land the plane. I'll slam it down in ten minutes. Can you stay with me, ten? So David is brought to Saul to play music, to calm him down when the evil spirit came on him, correct? All right, so Saul threw his spear at David, right? He later threw his spear at Jonathan, his son, right? He was sitting under the tree whenever he was chasing David. He was holding his spear, Saul was a spear-throwing man. The interesting thing is, is God aligned it to where David comes in and Saul is in the cave and, and, uh, and the people with David are saying, God has delivered him into your hand. But he just cuts off a part of his robe, Right? And then his spirit is even smitten because he did that. Later on, Saul is, is after him and they've pretty much got him pinned down and God causes a deep sleep to come on Saul, Abner, the entire, Abner was his main man, his general, and, and, uh, and all of the warriors. They are so asleep that David and one of his men literally walk up to Saul and take what? His spear. Now the man that was with David was saying, let me pin him to the ground and I won't even have to uh, hit him twice. 
In other words, this warrior was saying, God has delivered him into your hand, and I'll do it. You, you won't even have to do it. David didn't do it. David takes his spear, and then he goes up, and then, of course, then he starts yelling back, wakes them all up, says, Abner, you should be killed, that you, that you didn't protect uh, uh, you know, your king any better than this, and on and on and on. Here's, here's what got me this time that I had never seen. The very spear that saw through at David trying to kill him. God allowed that spear to be in David's hand, looking down at Saul. David could have taken the very spear that was thrown to try to kill him, and he could have taken Saul's life out, but he knew that was not his place. Now, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there may be times that the turn of events have it, or life has it, to where we are literally holding what someone else tried to use to kill us or do us major damage, and it's going to be a major question of what we do with what's been put in our hands. I pray that, that we will not be spear throwers I pray that we will be people that will be merciful. When, when we truly forgive, it's quite a step because there have really been some serious offenses and, and deeds done against people. I'm not, I'm not talking right now about people who are just so emotionally immature that, that all it takes is somebody looking at them wrong to throw them or say some little comment about them and it just spins them off into whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who have been done wrong to the limit that it changed the dynamic of their life. Or done wrong to the level that it changed the dynamic of a family member. Because many times it's easier to just handle things that are done to us, but then harder to deal with things that happen to your family members. I know that people legitimately have a lot to work through. A lot to work through. Some people have said things like this, time heals. Personally, I do not believe that. I believe that time helps, but I do not believe in some situations that time heals. Um, Father's Days are much easier for me right now than the Father's Day in 1980, just a couple of, uh, a week, I think, or a week or 10 days after my dad had died. Uh, you know, in Father's Day 79, we bought him new shoes. Father's Day 1980, we, we redecorated his grave. So, so I understand. I understand a little, a little bit about that. And, and now, now October the 7th, mom, dad's anniversary, October uh, 24th, his birthday. Um, he loved Christmas, Christmas. He loved Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Okay. All these days. Time has helped, but time has not healed it. it. It has not. And so when we look at forgiveness, we hear things like this. Forgive and forget. Really? Forgive, hopefully yes. Hopefully yes, but, but forget. 
There may be some things that's impossible to forget unless God washes your brain. And I know of situations that that's happened. Where there have been some just amazingly abused people that God just clean, just cleansed it from their brain. And I thank God for that. But when we talk about tough issues of life, if it caused a scratch, it'll disappear. But if it caused a gash, uh, that's not going to disappear. I can take my shoes and socks off right now, and on the inside of my right ankle, there's a scar. And I would not even think about falling on that jagged rock as a little boy back at Lake Ten Killer in Oklahoma if it wasn't for the scar. But every time I see that scar, I remember when I tripped, when I fell, when my ankle went down in between those two rocks and that jagged rock that got me. So that, that scar is a reminder. There are surgeries that you wouldn't even think about that you had, but you see the scar. And so it, it reminds you of that. And when we're talking about mental and emotional scars, they're, they're harder to deal with than physical ones. But the issue is, is can we forgive? And this is the question. I'm not saying forgive and forget because there are people that have, that have unlawfully done things to people that need to be brought to justice. But we must forgive to release ourselves. It's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge, but here's what happens, and I'm closing. Here's what happens. Bitterness is the poison pill that I take hoping you die. That's exactly what it is. And unforgiveness opens the door for bitterness, and unforgiveness allows someone else control of our life. Here it is. Do you know what unforgiveness will do? It puts us on their leash. That's what unforgiveness does. And I don't, I don't know about you, but um, I'm just not going to be put on somebody's leash. Well, so I'm trying. I'm trying. How, how do we know if we are being a forgiving person? It's easy. Here's the gauge. When you hear their name, what happens inside of you? Well, hopefully, you're moving toward it not messing you up like it used to. I totally understand that this, this could take time, but I can tell you this. The only way that we're going to finish strong is by understanding the power of forgiveness and the way he has forgiven us, and we are going to need to forgive others in that same manner. You know, I guess if we could ever, if we could ever really think about, if we could ever put the deathbed filter on us now while we're alive, is it going to matter on my deathbed? Is it going to matter? Well, the best thing to do is then look back at people that, that we know in the Word of God, what they did on their deathbed. 
Well, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. And Stephen was saying, lay not this sin to their charge. And so I'm just saying that Jesus is the forgiver, and Jesus is the servant, and Jesus is the king. Jesus is the server, so we learn how he served. That's how we seek to serve. Jesus is the forgiver, so we're trying to learn how he forgave. As we stand together, this is what I know. This is what I know. I know that God wants to use this place, this sanctuary, to help a lot of people move away from the crushing weight of sin. There's a lot of people that are literally sin sick that God wants to use us. And so what we're going to have to do is, is we're going to have to make sure that we're keeping our personal accounts up to date and that we're also seeking to forgive people as, as he forgave. As we pray together right now in closing, I, I would like for us, I would like for us to pray for anyone who is in this sanctuary right now, I really feel this, that needs to ask God for personal forgiveness and that they also need help in forgiving people of what has legitimately been done wrong to them. Would you help me pray right now as a church? Father, we come, we thank you for your word. Now you know everyone that is inside this sanctuary, and you know what they face, and you know what has made up their life. And Father, there have been people that have been truly been hurt by others. And I'm praying not only that they would call out to you for personal forgiveness, but they would allow your spirit to help them also forgive what has been done to them. Father, I'm believing. I'm believing that this word is going to help some people open up the door and walk through it and start walking in peace instead of torment. Now, I speak it and I believe it because it's based on your word. In Jesus' name, and can the church say amen? Amen, amen, amen.